All right, folks, if you will, find Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 21. It's the last verse of the first chapter. So we've made it one-third of the way through. Again, however long it's been, it's been a long time. I've lost track of how long I've been working my way through this. But um, it is the last verse of chapter 1, so that's a milestone for us. Um, Peter writes, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to come to your house today, Father God, to be able to worship you, to be able, Father God, to lift our voices together, to sing, God, Rock of Ages. It's been cleft for us, Father God. I thank you for that, Father. I thank you, Lord, for that ribbon side, Father, for uh, the precious groanings of a precious Savior, Father God, whose death atones for the sins of an entire, entire world. We thank you for that, Father God. We thank you, Lord, for both uh, the power of that, Father God, and the effectiveness, Lord, as that atonement, Father God, is now given, Father, to those who have been called according to your name. We love you, Father God, and we thank you, Lord, for everything that you have done for us. But more than anything, Father, we lift our voices together right now, Father God, to thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. For that precious blood, Father God, that takes away sin. We thank you for that, Father God. If there were no, there were no Calvary, Father God, there would be no church, Father. None of us would be, would be saved and whole as we are. And we thank you for that, Father God. We thank you, Lord, that right now we declare a gospel, Father God, that has not expired nor lost its power. But that it is ready, God, to receive. It's ready, Father God, to be implanted, Father. And it's really ready, Lord, now, God, to save. So we pray, Father God, that it is declared today. I would do the best job I can, Father God, to do what Spurgeon said, to to make a beeline for the cross, Lord, that I would be ready to do that, Father, ready, God, to be that man today, not because I'm qualified to do it, Father God, but because, Lord, you have prepared my heart and my mind to come in, Lord, and be exactly the one that you've called me to be. And I pray, God, that I will be that. I pray, God, that your people will hear, that we're ready to hear and ready to, to, God, ready to commit today. That's what I pray for, Lord. Break hearts, Father God. Destroy strongholds, Father God. Change minds. Do what only you can do, Father God, today. Before it's everlasting too late, Lord. In the name of Christ, I pray, Lord. Amen. As we were singing the song, and this is just in terms of a joke, um, I love uh, to, when we sing the songs of that particular songwriter, Augustus Top Lady. And I'm always most impressed just simply by the fact that his name was Augustus Top Lady. If my name was Augustus Toplady, y'all would listen to me more than you do. It's the fact that I have a boring name that makes you uh, to me. No, I'm, I'm sure it's not that reason. There are probably millions of other reasons, I'm sure. Um, let's talk for just a second about the end of this chapter and specifically what it means that we have now come to this end of a time in which Peter has done a lot to define for us what, what not just prophecy is specifically, but brothers and sisters, exactly what the Bible is. What is Scripture? Peter is giving us his definition of that, and that's important. It's vital. It's more important in this day than it was in Peter's day even, and the canon had not, not yet been truly established as we think of it. You couldn't go to the store and buy a Bible in Peter's day. The way we can do that, the way we have access to the Scriptures, where we can have... To be honest with you, debates about which one is the best. There was no debate in Peter's time of this fashion. You couldn't couldn't have that discussion. It just simply was beyond their abilities of the time. We can do that now. 
and talk about truth in a way that's quantifiable. And that's important. It's important that Peter did that. Now, if you take a glance into chapter 2, you know why. Because Peter's preparing us for a time in which the church is going to be under attack, not from the outside, but from the inside. The church is going to be led by people, or excuse me, corrupted, attempted. There's going to be an attempt to corrupt the church by people who are only concerned with their own well-being. With making money off of it or having popularity off of it or power from it. They're going to try to corrupt it by distancing or separating or driving a wedge between God's people and a truth that is their inheritance. So what we'll say from that at, the, at this transition point, from the end of what Peter has to say in chapter 1 to the beginning of some of the most consequential words that the Bible has to offer for the church. So much so that they match almost exactly with Jude's words in the book of Jude. Step for step, almost exactly. That's how vital this truth is. But we can say this, that we have to reignite our passion for the Word of God itself. Because it is the most important thing to us. Peter's declaring that. You have to guard the Word. Defend it and believe it. We must do that. Now look, in his book, The Unsearchable Riches of Christ, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my great heroes in the faith, said this. He said, it's clear in Scripture that there can be no repetition of the apostleship and that the talk of apostolic succession, many of us in this room have heard this term forever. Um, I might add nauseatingly heard this term. Apostolic succession. is simply to deny the scriptural teaching. There can be no successor to the apostles. The truth has been revealed once and forever. We do not need further revelation for the truth was revealed to the apostles and to the prophets because they transmitted it and preached it and their message was written in the New Testament. We have it. In other words, stopping there, this is enough. We don't need anything else. The foolish and stupid quest for anything else is one of those things that corrupts us. When the Bible and the Word of God is not enough for us, then I would say, what is? What is? It is therefore implicit in the definition of an apostle that he is a man who received the revelation in a unique manner. And so he can obviously have no successor. In other words, our quarrel with the Roman Catholic Church and its followers is scriptural. They are denying the scriptures. And here in South Mississippi, other groups are in the same way denying the scripture. The foundation is once and forever. The church has been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. He quotes Ephesians chapter 2. The doctor emphasizes the pastness or the past tense nature of the Scriptures when he says, has been built. It is firmly established. The apostolic age was part of the foundation upon which the church has been constructed. But it's already built. Now we have the truth of Scripture, completed, needing nothing to transmit, sure and certain truth to the church and the world. Simply put, we have everything we need on our laps right now if your Bible is with you. Everything you need. We'll expound upon it. We'll pray upon it. We'll look to it. We'll struggle and strive to understand it. But in the end, we don't need anything 
else. We have it all. Everything. However, men and women still long for something else. Now this is the issue. Something personal. And it took me a while of praying over this for I realized why people would go out and do that. And I, I get, I've got it now. They want, they want it desperately, folks. We want it to be about us. God spoke to us. God spoke to me and I heard this. And then I get to say that. God spoke to me and this is what He said. Instead of speaking to us, the church, God spoke to me individually. I'm special. I'm special. God has come down in His infinite wisdom. He has personally solved my problems. I said, as I've told you guys before, I've heard a lot of people say, I've talked about visions and talk about prophecy and talk about tongues and all those things in the apostolic age, signs and wonders that we're talking about right now. And they always tell me the same story. It was that I was going through something rough in my life and God just told me it was going to be okay. And I'm like, you don't need, you don't need signs and wonders for that. You've got the Bible. The Bible says that. We don't need for God to repeat Himself. And we don't need for God to read His Word to us. He said it. Now, now the, the problem here is, let me please explain. I'm not harping on, I'm, I've been harping, I realize, because simply put, Peter has harped on this for a while. And so we're, we're kind of stuck going our way through it to, to find the glory of God through that. But understand this, please. I, I, I get the desperation of the world so caught and so alone that they would feel like they need for God to come down out of heaven and present Himself to them. They need that. The problem we have is that when we start to chase that, we will fall farther away from where God wants us to stay, and that is with the Scriptures. In the Scriptures. They become less important to us, less vital to our growth. No one who pursues that becomes more into the Word. They become less. Less. Becomes more about what God's saying to them right now in an individual way. The future for the church is in an ancient book and not in a new or a fresh voice. The future of the church is in what Peter said and what Paul said and not what some prophet says. The only prophet we want to hear from is Isaiah or Jeremiah, or Ezekiel, or one of the twelve. Those are our prophets. We don't need any more because those are more than enough. More than enough. Christ Jesus responded to the men and women of His time with solicitude. We understand this. We understand this craving. Peter, Matthew writes in, in, in Matthew 9.36, when He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. If there's any definition of our world today, harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd. People running around literally, literally, as, as I've talked to friends in this church before, like, I remember the days when I was a boy and we had cows, and a calf would get loose, and what would he do? He'd just run. Our cow would get loose, and she'd run over you, wouldn't she? Because she's, she doesn't know where freedom is and she's just running as hard as she can. She'd hurt you. She'd hurt her own calf. Why? Because there was no guidance. There was just the wildness. The wildness of fear and the wildness of loneliness. That's the world in which we live. Harassed and helpless literally like animals. Helpless like animals. Because sheep need a shepherd. 
Animals need someone to tend them. The state of the people, their condition was one of harassment and helplessness, just like the world today. While the world conducts itself in a way that the church can and should find horrific, our reaction must be to pity those caught in darkness. So our reaction to the world around us is not to return their hatred, but we have nothing but pity for them. Our hearts break for them because they are so lost and so trapped by darkness. They do the only thing they know to do. They kill their brains and their minds with chemicals. They distract their bodies by indulging physical pleasure. Or they react aggressively against anyone who would bring doubt to their lives. They have no choice but to do that because that's how the human animal will always react. Always. We want more for them than to be caught in that. They don't know any better. As believers armed with the truth, we have to invade their consciences with verifiable biblical responses because the alternative for them is the condemnation of believing the false prophet. Here's the reality. They will believe. But they will believe the false prophet that tells them they can do exactly what they want to do. The reason why we're so loud, we've got to be so much louder, why we've got to oppose the world in this matter, is because we're not the only voice. If it was quiet, we would whisper, but it's not, it's loud. They're screaming from pulpits of tens of thousands. False prophets that tell the world they can live the way they want to. They can indulge themselves, led by men and by women, shamefully, who indulge themselves. The prophet Jeremiah addresses false prophets and the source of their prophecy when he writes in Jeremiah 23, 26-27, How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies, who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? Who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. There is the goal. We work backwards quickly through this passage. The goal is to lead the world to forget the very name of Jesus. To rely on Baal more than you rely on the Jesus of the cross. So they forget the very gospel that we declare. That it no longer echoes in their brains, finding root in their hearts. But they are simply led astray by a blasphemous truth. And it comes from where? Lying hearts in lying men and their very delusion. It is lies or it's craziness. That's what it is. Nothing but false prophets. Prophecies having their origin, the lies and delusions of the men who speak them. They are lying to themselves and they are deluded. Not grounded in the Word of God. Not grounded in the Word of God at all. Okay, so what aspect of the cross is revealed by the verse of Scripture that's the focus for our day? Salvation and sanctification depend upon properly presenting the valid Word of God. For your salvation and for the ongoing sanctification that God does in your life right now, if you are not receiving the Word of God on a daily basis, you simply put, are not being sanctified as you should. The Word of God is vital for us. We can never be separate from it. Simply put, I'll just say this. If we're, we're gathered here for about an hour, and that's it, about an hour, 
To both sing praises to God and then to hear the Word of God and respond to it. And that's it. This can't be your only time with the Word of God. If it is, you are starving to death. You will never survive on that diet. We need as much as we can possibly get or we will fail. There is no doubt about that. The Word of God is precious and vital and the only thing that sustains us. Without the Gospel preached, each verse pointing back to the finished work of Christ for the sins of the world and how that truth continues to save us from a world of doubt and fear, each and every verse of the Bible pointing back to the cross. Spurgeon presumptively said, we don't know that he really said it, but it's been attributed to him. We preach, we, we read our passages and we make a beeline for the cross. We look to the finished work of Calvary. Without this, men and women will languish in suffering and shame. And without the gospel, nobody's ever set free. Without the gospel, men and women remain in bondage. Without the gospel on a daily basis, your corrupt heart will turn back to what is familiar and away from what is freeing. As Peter says, like a dog that returns to its vomit. Without the gospel message preached every, I mean every day to us, folks. Seeking it as hard and as fast as we can. Somehow we've decided that minimal with the word is better. And I'm here to tell you that's a lie from Satan. It's a lie. More is always better. Always better. Don't believe Satan's lies. That you can get enough church, or you can get enough of the word, or you can get enough of the gospel preached or the gospel studied. It's not true. It's that kind of thinking that has crippled the church. At the same time, this planet is a world of intellectual and moral chaos that's ripe for the emergence of, of these strongman leaders armed with appealing but elaborate lies. Because it's such a bad world, because the world is so um, overcome by its own sin and its own shame, it, it's an opportunity for, for hucksters and tricksters to step forward and to build these colossal cathedrals to be honest with you, to their own shame. Never preaching the real truth. Never daring to preach what the Bible truly says. And they come forward and do that. It's made for them. The response has to come from the church. And it has to come from the Bible. These elaborate lies that will greedily supplant the truth in the hearts of men and women if the true gospel is not vigorously preached. I'm here to tell you this much. The days of being nice have to be over for the church. We have been so nice and so helpful that we have encouraged people down a road to destruction. We've been so understanding. As G.K. Chesterton said, and I'm going uh, to butcher the paraphrase, become so open-minded that a brain spilled out. We want to encourage everybody around every path because we didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Well, here's the reality. The gospel hurts everybody's feelings because the gospel says that everybody's condemned, that everybody's actions are black and dark and destructive and lead only to hell. That's what the gospel says. 
The gospel doesn't just talk about the glory of God and the glory of Christ and the beauty of His sacrifice and the need for it at the right time. But the gospel says that I own myself, bust hell wide open with all that I can do on my best day. That's what the gospel says. And we've got to shout that from the rooftops. We've got to preach it in our lives. Because the world around us is going to hell. And we will either embrace that truth or we will be condemned along with it. Condemned. God has given us the key, the very key to the glory of heaven. And that is the gospel message preached and believed. As I pointed out many, many times, if you had the cure to cancer, you'd tell everybody. You'd shout about it. You'd give it to everybody you knew that had it, that you loved. If you hated them, you'd give them the, the key to health. But we have the key to eternal life. And we hide it. And we deny it. No more. No more can, can we do this. For humanity, the search for authentic Bible truth is the great quest for our lives. Peter describes the object of our pursuit again in 2 Peter 1.21 For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. This has nothing to do with the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Hence the first major distinction between false and true prophecy. A false prophecy is produced by the will of man and not by the will of God. A man says what he wants to be true. And not what God has declared to be true. Biblically, God has done the work of delivering the prophecy to His prophet. The legitimate prophets of old who spoke the words of the Lord, words of the Lord for God, did so because God, the Holy Spirit, carried them along, took control, and dragged these men. Sometimes, like Jonah, unwillingly along. They were not enriched. They were sawn in two. Like Isaiah. They were murdered. Killed the prophets. That was the outcome for the men of God who spoke the truth in the Old Testament. Read Hebrews 11 and find out. They were carried along, oftentimes against their will. Because the Holy Spirit, though not widespread, was given to them and He took charge of their ministries. The Greek term Peter uses is pheromenoi, which means to bear or to carry. The prophets of old were personally born along. They were urged, they were moved, led by the Holy Spirit to say exactly what they were supposed to say by God. Even if they knew it led to their destruction. What did they do? They said exactly what God commanded. There were no pleasing words. There was just saving truth. Vital truth. The Lord took a very active role in writing the Old Testament Scriptures as He did with the New. Paul confirms this in that these two verses that, that so much go together. They talk about the two very aspects of what it really means to be biblical truth. That's 2 Timothy 3.16 that goes along with 2 Peter 1.21. Paul says, All Scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All Scripture, no matter what the verse is, it's God-breathed. How do we know it's Scripture? Because it's the anustos. It is the very breath of God. 
Everything that the Bible says, the canon that you have before you, listen to me, that Bible that you dared to bring in here, that Bible that's illegal in some countries, that Bible that's smuggled in by men and women with risk of their lives, that Bible is by definition, by proof and by faith, the only confirmable Word of God. That's it. That is it. Everything that I say in this pulpit better have a footnote on it that says that came from God. It's found on this page. It's found by this. It's, it's written by this author. It is this verse. Or else it might be a good thing, but it's not a God thing. If it is by definition, by proof, and by faith, the Word of God... And I'm going to tell you this right now without a moment's hesitation. Trust it. Don't look anywhere else. You don't need anything else. Trust it. If that is the Word of God and the book itself says it is, and the testing that it's undergone for two millennium says it is, then guess what? Trust it. Believe what the Bible says. Live your life by its words. Honor its precepts with your obedience. Don't look for something else. Don't listen to anybody else. The word that Paul most likely creates, this is probably, this is a word that you can't find anywhere else in the Greek, theonoustos. It's Paul's word. He invented it. God breathed. Now, now the, the writer and, and theologian, Cecil Speak, determines the importance of this term when he says that theonoustos excuse me, Theonustos, expresses the sacred nature of the Scriptures, their divine origin, and their power to sanctify believers. When we read Peter's letter, 2 Peter, he's the author, but God's the source. His is the hand that wrote it down, but it's God who told him what to write. It is God-breathed. It comes from God Himself. We believe this about First and Second Peter, about every one of the epistles in the New Testament, about, about, about four Gospels, and about the Old Testament, full of beautiful truth that all points to Christ. It all comes from God. It's of divine origin. While the world searches vainly for a powerful and fresh word from God to fill the gaping holes of the oddly shaped niches of their hearts, the church already has a powerful and undeniable truth from God, personally delivered, that never expires or loses its potency. It is not less valid today than it was 2,000 years ago. It's not. It's more valid. It is infinitely valid because it's inerrant. And it comes from God. This word right here is what will fill, as Adrian Rogers says, that cross-shaped hole in your heart. It's this word right here. Everything that you face has been addressed. Every encouragement you will ever need is provided. And every answer for which your heart longs has been discoverable through study, prayer, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in the pages of God's Word. If you don't know where to go or, or, or who to believe or, or what to think or where to turn, go to the Scriptures. Trust God. Believe in Him. Believe the Word. He has every answer you've ever needed. Look how David describes the Word of God in Psalm 19, verses 7. A very familiar passage. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. 
The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, righteous, and righteous altogether. Everything about the human condition has the potential and opportunity for radical change and seismic reversal when confronted by the power of the Word of God. Folks, folks who talked about it. Dr. Parker, I told you Wednesday, Dr. Parker talked about it Sunday afternoon, that the most vital need for the church post-COVID is revival. It's revival. We, we, we thought we could tend it through videos. We thought we could manage it through videos. We found out we can't. We found out we can't. To simply put, we were killing it. Doing everything we could. Here's the reality. What do we need? Powerful, true, biblical, New Testament awakening. We need the quickening of the Holy Spirit back upon God's people. We need all these things. We've got to have it. And where's the source of that? Prayer in the Word of God. I'm going to tell you this right now to your faces. Right now. What happened on the Isle of Wight in revival, when, when the windows shook, the windows were shaken by the work of some charlatan. The windows were shaken by the power of God through the Word of God. People believed the Word of God and prayed for revival and God delivered. The Word of God shook the windows. The Word of God brought judgment to the land. The Word of God will do that every time. There's the power of revival. There's the power of that seismic reversal in our very lives. There it is. Because the God-breathed Word is perfect. Our souls are revived. We have the opportunity for revival only through the Word of God. Because the God-breathed Word of God can be trusted above every other source of truth or fact. Even simpletons like me can become wise by its influence. We can know what to do and where to turn. So much of our lives are spent just being lost. Just stumbling around like a blind man. Looking. Looking for some hope. And the Bible gives that hope. Because the God-breathed Word always reflects the holiness of the Master. It is always just and right about every subject. Our hearts can rejoice and not mourn in the truth that we embrace. Now listen to, the, listen to me about this church 100%. We do not have to apologize to the world for what the Bible says. If the Bible declares something wrong, it is wrong. If the Bible declares something right, it is right. There is no gray area and there is no wavering within the Word of God. We do not have to apologize for what God has declared. Because everything that God says is without error or deviation from His expressed will. The eyes of the believers will be open to the infinite possibilities of Christ in their lives and in this world. We will live in God's hope with eyes enlightened by the gospel. It literally changes the way we live. There's one thing that's a disappointment in the life of, of those of us who've come to know Christ is when we come to know Christ and our lives don't feel like they've radically changed. Our lives have not radically changed because we've been separate from the Word of God because we haven't heard it or listened to it or studied it or tried to live it. That's why we're the same. That's why we're exactly the same after the blood applied because all we're doing is living in the only way that we've ever known to live. And the Bible is the opposite of that. The Bible will separate you from your sin. 
The Bible will destroy obstacles to your holiness. The Bible will do that. Because that's what the Bible does. Because the fear of the Lord envelops our nature and unshackles us from sin, believers will be free to pay God the adoration that He deserves. We will worship our God with clean hands and pure hearts. There's nothing like the fact that, simply put, so much of the church is so shackled to their sin that they can't come into God's presence and offer anything other than hypocritical worship. But you know what the Bible does? It cuts those bonds. The Bible will enable us as God's men and women to worship in a way that is set free and turned loose for God. Real worship, not fake worship. Because God's rules expressed in the Word have integrity and He uses them to bring justice to the world. Believers can conduct themselves justly in a world of injustice. We can live better than we are living right now. We can live closer to God's example than we are living right now. All those old bondages, those old bigotries and prejudices, all those things that come with just being from here, all that destroyed by the Word of God. Destroyed. God turns us loose to live like Christ. Finally, David tells us in verse 10, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. The Word of God is above all else, second only to the gift of Christ given to die a bloody death, for the sins of the world. And the method by which the saving truth of the cross is communicated to God's people. Second only to what Christ did on Calvary is the completed canon that rests on your lap right now. And only slightly less bloody, folks. Because so many died so that you might have it, might have access to it. William Tyndale, strangled and burned. Why? So you could have the scripture in your language. You can have access to God's Word. It's the pattern by which we honor Him through our absolute obedience to the Word that Jesus died to fulfill. The key to freedom from sin is not found in the words of man, but in the precious words of God. Jesus says this in John 6, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words of Jesus are spirit and life. The Holy Spirit gives life today and that life is found in the words spoken by God. Recorded in the Bible, preserved for the good of humankind. Preached from the pulpit in the streets and speaking to hearts today. If you want life, if you want freedom and joy, then do not look past the healing word of God's word, but clamor for it and cling to it. There's but one place to find life and life eternal. And that's in the words of God. The God-breathed Word saves the souls of men and women just like us. Undeserving wretches. Dragged to hell by their own sins and their own mistakes. But mercifully, the chains are struck by the power of the Word of God delivered to men. Today, right now, the Gospel sets people free. If you're not free, if you're in bondage to your sin and in bondage to your shame, then the gospel today will set you free. Believe what you hear today before it's too late for your soul. You hear what I said? There will come a time when it's too late. When you have lost that opportunity for mercy and all that remains is justice. Believe because God has spoken directly to you through the words of the Bible. Everybody wants that unique voice. 
And there's that unique voice. God has spoken to you today. Honor Him and believe Him and commit your life. Let's pray.